This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. pray together. Lord, we are so excited to be in your presence and to be able to worship you, knowing that that we don't have to, to scream out to get your attention, but that you're already here, that you are in our presence, that you're a personal God who wants to meet with us, who desires to bring freedom in every area of our lives. Would you give us the freedom now to be able to follow you wherever you lead? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, New Life. I am excited to be here with you today. If it's your first time, I want to I want to give you an extra special welcome. My name is Kevin. I will be guiding us through most of the rest of our morning together, about the next 30 minutes or so, and I want to give you some tools to help you on this journey. These are things that we we all do each week to kind of get us on the same playing field so that we're ready to encounter God the ways that he wants us to. And and one of those is when you came in, you got this program Inside of it are two things you're really going to need today. So the first is this card that says start here. It's a connection card. Go ahead and grab that. Uh, Put your name on it. And if you're new with us, your email address so that we can help you connect to the church community, to the things we're doing in the city. Ultimately, if you're new with us, here's what you need to know about us. We believe that God wants to connect deeply with you. And when that day comes that you're ready to uh, connect with him, to engage with him on the next step, we want to be the church that helps you do that. So this card just helps us get that information so we can do what God created us to do, which is help you connect with him. So go ahead and fill that out. And then the other thing you're going to want are these teaching notes. And there's a ton on here today. So you're not going to be able to retain everything we talk about. But if you take these notes, you can take them home with you. And uh, you can look at it throughout the week as we continue on in week two of our series called Uncaged. And I'm really excited about this Uncaged series. Uncaged uh, has as, as kind of as its base belief, uh, we believe that God is a creative God who created us to walk in a relationship with him, to know him, to, to uh, become the, the man and the woman that he created us to be. Uh, we believe that life with God is supposed to be a life worth living. And we believe that as we take this journey with God, it should increase our, our passion for life, our, our desire to live, our desire to experience God more fully, and then in that process to really change uh, the lives of those around us for the better. We believe that God created us to be so in tune with Him that as we walk with Him in life, even through the mundane things like changing diapers or going to work or going to the grocery store, that life really becomes an adventure. And so we've been going through um, a book that's called Wild Goose Chase by a guy named Mark Batterson. And I read this book uh, just about three months ago, and this book just inspired me. So what I did was I took each chapter of this book and I created a sermon out of it. And if you like what we're talking about, you can pick this up on Amazon or anywhere else and just kind of dig in deeper because I can't explore all the things he does in the book or you would be here with me all day. So if you like what you're hearing, go ahead and pick that up. I think you would enjoy it. But Batterson calls his book Wild Goose Chase because he tells a story in the very beginning that uh, the ancient Celtic Christians, uh, they called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, they called it the wild goose. They said that following after God's Spirit is a lot like trying to chase after a wild goose. It's, it's always going places, and we don't really fully know where it's going. And, and as we follow it, it takes us to places that we didn't ever think we would go and has us doing things we never thought we'd do. 
But he says this, that chasing after God's spirit, chasing after this wild goose, what it does is it, it reclaims the adventure of life that we were always created to live. Because life is designed to be something that we don't just survive, but something that we are actually excited about living, and especially when it comes to following after God. And so we call this series Uncaged because in the book he talks about six different cages that keep us from encountering God's Spirit, from following after this goose. And so we're trying to break out of each of these six cages. And if you missed last week, man, you missed a good week. You're going to want to go back and listen to it on our website, newlifepetaluma.org, because we talk about one of the ways that we can break out of of routine in our lives and fully engage with God is by doing something that we call fasting. And so uh, just about 200 of us last week started a 40-day fast together where we decided to fast from something, uh, not something bad. I'm doing sweets, for example. Other people are doing social media or TV or or, uh, radio, just different things like that. Fasting from something for the purpose of getting out of our everyday routine. So every time we, we would do that thing, every time I would have dessert, Instead of doing that routine thing, I would actually engage with God. And uh, what we did was we gave you some ways to do that. We gave you a postcard. And if you didn't get to fill yours out last week, there are postcards in all the seatbacks in front of you. And the postcards uh, basically are an invitation to write down what you want to fast from and then what you want to ask God for. Because we believe that God wants to move in our lives as we seek after him through prayer. And so between last Monday and the day before Easter, we're just going to try this experiment of fasting to try to break out of this routine and really engage with God. And if you didn't start it yet, that's okay. If you missed last week, you didn't know about this, I would say just start today. Start the fast. Try something new. Engage with God. Listen to the sermon and then jump into that. Do that. And then out in the lobby, we've got these bookmarks. They're tips and tools to help us engage with God through the fast. If you didn't get one or if you forgot about it, uh, go ahead and grab one of those on the way out. And it's so fun. I'm already seeing posts on Facebook about the ways God's been answering people's prayers, moving in their lives as they're fasting. I'm hearing stories. I'm getting emails. God's been, God's been moving in my life as I've been fasting. And so my hope and my prayer is that as we break out of the routine of just kind of everyday life where God gets pushed to the back, that we would, we would really experience his presence in our lives, that we experience him moving and and experience him changing us in a way that only he can. So know that I'm praying for you as you continue on this fast. And if you've never tried it before, try it. If you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, I would say this. Try asking God for the next month, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? I think that's a prayer that God would absolutely want to answer. Well, today we're going to uh, dismantle the second cage. And we're going to look at what it means to have a life of purpose and have a life of passion. Because like I said, life shouldn't just be something that we survive. Life should be something that we are excited about, that we get up ready for, that we, as we face the day, we have a reason for being here. And we're going to do it by uh, talking about breaking out of the cage of responsibility. And in his book, Wild Goose Chase, Mark Batterson says this. He says, I'm not convinced that the date of your death is the date carved on your tombstone. He says, most people die long before that. We start dying when we have nothing worth living for. He says, and we don't really start living until we can find something worth dying for. Ironically, discovering something worth dying for is what really makes life worth living. 
And throughout the story of the Bible, we see men and women who have had this experience. They're, they're going about their everyday lives. They know God. They're following God. They're, they're ordinary people just like us, having ordinary lives just like ours. And then at some point, God grabs them. He gives them based on an experience that they've had or uh, based on a, a prayer time when he just kind of reveals something to him. He, he gives them a passion. He gives them a purpose worth living for. He gives them a desire to, to love on people and care for people and make the world a better place one person at a time. And when God does that in the Bible, man, those people come to life. Those people come to life. And what I want for us more than anything is I want us to follow God and to follow his purposes for our lives uniquely so that we can really come to life as we follow after him. One of the guys who we're going to talk about this morning in the Old Testament of the Bible had a very regular experience. He, he was working in a job day after day after day, and then all of a sudden, based on some un unexpected circumstances, God grabs him, and God gives him one of these passions, and that passion changed the entire trajectory of his life. And I was praying this weekend for you that, that maybe today God might do that in, in someone's life. Just, just grab us in such a way that it just slingshots you forward in your faith, and you can, you can experience all that God has for you. This particular guy's name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, you can find his story in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament of the Bible. But here's the backstory. In about 586 BC, there was a Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar. He went to Jerusalem where the Jewish people lived, and Nehemiah was a Jew. And he conquered Jerusalem, and he took uh, the people who had survived that, um, that siege, he took them back to Babylon with him. And they all had jobs working in different fields with him. And then about 50 years later, after he'd conquered Jerusalem, he sent back a group of people to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the city. So they rebuilt the city, but 150 years passed by, and the one thing they hadn't rebuilt was the wall that surrounded the city. And that becomes really important. We're going to find out about it in just a second. And this is where Nehemiah comes into the story. See, Nehemiah has risen up in the ranks of the kingdom. He's become the cupbearer to the king. And the cupbearer was basically the guy who brought the king his wine. He would taste it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Uh, he was kind of the king's right-hand man. The king trusted him with his life. And it had some perks. Uh, steady job, good income, housing allowance, all taken care of. It did have some downsides, though. If you messed up, the king was dead. And pretty shortly after, you were dead, okay? So you didn't really need, like, a life insurance policy because once you were dead, that was it. They got a new cupbearer. Retirement, not so much. So that's Nehemiah's job. And we're going to hear about him in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. And he's going about life. He's having an everyday experience. And his brother comes to visit him in verse 2. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, he came to, to Judah. He came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant who had survived exile and also about Jerusalem. And these men said to me, those who survived the exile uh, and that they're back in the province, they're in great trouble in disgrace because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah's going about his life, and everything's pretty good, and then his brother comes to visit him with some other men, and they just have small talk. How you doing? Doing okay? How's the family? Family's okay? Hey, how's Jerusalem? How are the people that Nebuchadnezzar sent back? And, and how's the city? And he says, man, the city's bad. 
He says the economic state is horrible because anytime people who live in Jerusalem and the surrounding area start to grow crops, we have invaders coming from outside of the city because there are no walls protecting us. They come in and they burn up our crops and they take everything for themselves. So we can't get any sort of foothold to start our society back up. And Nehemiah, in that moment, he just begins to grieve. And he cries and he weeps and he mourns, probably because of sadness, probably because of anger. Something in him just, it just grabbed him and he began to, to fast and to pray. And fasting for him was the same thing that fasting is for us. He was breaking out of his routine of everyday life, stopping doing something. For him, it was eating meals. He was fasting from food so that he could encounter God. So he began to fast and he began to pray. Which brings up a question for us as we're trying to figure out the things, the the God-given purpose that he's given us, the God-given passion that we have. I want to ask you this. What, and just think about this for a second, what are you passionate about? What is it that you're passionate about? What makes, you, what makes you mad? What makes you sad? What makes you, what makes you glad? Yeah, that was rhyme. It was Dr. Seuss's birthday last week. <laughs> so I, I just thought I'd cut loose and I figured it was the perfect time to, to say a rhyme, you know, and um, if you're getting mad, soon you'll be glad because because I'm done, but my rhyme was fun, right? That, that was clever. That was clever. It's only first service. I haven't had my coffee. You don't have to clap. I'm clapping on the inside. Okay. What makes you mad? What makes you sad? What makes you glad? What, what are the things that you read about in school that, that just, oh, they, they raise something up inside of you? Or what are the things you see on the news and, and you think, man, someone needs to do something about that? Because it's not going to be everything, but there, there's going to be something in life. As we're going about life, there's going to be something that you, that you read about, that you hear about. Maybe as you read your Bible and you're praying, you read a story in the Bible, and something that Jesus says, it just stands out to you. And you think, someone should do something about that. What is it that makes you just want to pound your fist because you're so angry? What is it that, that makes your, your heart break? Is there something in your life that you've thought to yourself, man, if, if money wasn't an issue, I would do that for the rest of my life. See, our first step is uncovering what our, our God-given passions are. And those are just some tips to help you as you go through life. What makes you sad? What makes you mad? What makes you glad? For Nehemiah, it was this, this issue of the wall. He'd never been to Jerusalem. He'd spent his entire life in Babylon, and there was no logical reason for him to, to be sad about that. And yet, when his brothers came back and he heard about his people, and he heard that their wall had been destroyed and that they couldn't get any sort of footing, that was when a passion was birthed inside of him. He became angry, and he became sad. He mourned. He found a passion. He had no idea what to do with his passion, he had no idea how to live it out. He had no idea how to, how to take the next step immediately. All he knew was that God had birthed something inside of him. And when God births something inside of us, friends, it's our responsibility to follow after him. That's what it looks like to follow God's spirit. It's when he births something inside of us, we, we follow after him. So Nehemiah goes on this journey of trying to uncover what his passion is. But here's the, here's the issue and here's the rub. And if you're here today and you're in school, high school or college, or even if you're an early 20-something just out of school, I want to tell you this. When I was your age, uh, this, did not, this did not feel like a rub to me. By the way, that, that's the first time I've ever said the phrase, when I was your age. 
Um, that's the first time I've ever said that. I like it. I like it. When, I was, when I was your age, you know, when I was your age, when I was your age, this did not feel like attention to me. It did not feel like attention to me. But I can tell you this. I'm 33 now. I've got a family. I've got a job. This tension rises up with us as we get older. And, and here's the tension. It's up on the screen. You and I, so if you're a student, just, just hear me out. Just give me a little bit of trust here. Hear me out. We have regular God-given responsibilities. Work, family, friendships. We have aging parents that we care for. We have a mortgage. We have chores. We have regular God-given responsibilities. And then we have God-given passions to make a difference in the world. Big picture things. And the two feel like they're in conflict because we don't know how to do the one without minimizing the other. This is the tension we feel. We don't know how to do the everyday responsibilities without minimizing the big picture like, oh, if I— if if family wasn't an issue or if money wasn't an issue, that's what I do. And we don't know how to do that without minimizing our regular responsibilities. And what happens is that means we spend all our time in our regular responsibilities and we never say yes to the things that God wants us to do to make a difference outside of our family, outside of our work. We have regular God-given responsibilities. And we don't know how to do the one without minimizing the other. And here's the solution. Here's the solution. We need to honor the regular God-given responsibilities regularly. Regularly. This is what I mean. When it comes to work or when it comes to school, we need to honor God by working hard every day, by honoring our boss, by not stealing time or resources from our boss, so that when God gives us a a passion to go and do something, to make a difference, and we go to our boss and we say, hey, can I have a week off? Because God has has just asked me to do something. Our boss doesn't think, well, you're just trying to slack off again. I've never had a teacher say to a student who is their, their, their hardest working student, I've never had a teacher say to them, you know what, you cannot leave for a week to go on a mission trip or to, to go and serve somewhere because you've just been slacking off. But I have had plenty of teachers, because I worked in college ministry for six years, say to slacker students who had taken off pretty much the entire semester, no, you can't leave right now. No, you can't leave right now. You haven't been in class for the last two months. Or maybe they said, well, what difference is it going to make? You haven't been in class for the last two months. See, we need to honor the regular responsibilities, regular. Honor God with our work. Work hard so that when he calls us to do something that means we have to take time off from work, our boss can bless us to do it. This is what it looks like with our loved ones. We need to spend time with our loved ones regularly. And we need to make them a priority. When we're home, we need to be home. We don't bring work home with us. For some of us, that means we need to turn off Facebook on our phones so that we can prioritize our families so that when God gives us a, 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 just a, a passion, a burning inside of us to do something, our family doesn't become resentful of us or of God. I've heard this story too many times already in ministry where someone said, you know what, I just— I served God with my entire life and my family became resentful of me and they became resentful of God. That's not God's design for you. God wants us to honor those who we love by prioritizing them, by showing them love, by caring for them so that when he calls us to make a difference, to follow a passion, they can give us the grace and the space to do that. I had an opportunity to do this back in October. I I love spending time with my family and I've drawn some lines. When I'm at work, I work hard and I love the ministry. I love what God's called me to do. But when I'm home, I'm home. So we we regularly have times of rest that we call Sabbath times together and times where I'm just, I'm pouring into my kids. And then back in October, uh, God birthed a passion in me to go to India and to teach and train pastors for two weeks. And Maria, my wife, 
felt the same sense of calling from God, but here's what it meant for us. It meant we had to miss our four-year-old daughter's fifth birthday. I, I heard that audible gasp. Yes, we did. We, we, we missed her fifth, I know. Don't call CPS just yet, okay? Um, so here's what we did. We sat down with Maddie, our daughter, and we just told her how much we love her, and she knows it because I just pour my life into my daughter. I love her so much. She's just, she's, she's a joy. We said, Mom, Mommy and Daddy, we feel like God is inviting us to go to India to serve these pastors and to work at this orphanage and to care for these people, but we're going to miss your birthday. So here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to have your birthday a few days before we leave, and then we're going we're gonna to Skype you from India and I'll talk to you on your birthday. Are, are you okay with that? And because we had invested in her regularly, because she didn't feel like she played second fiddle to work or to Facebook or to other things, she said, yeah, go. She saw mom and dad loving God while at the same time loving her. Here's how this looks in our finances. We need to, we need to honor God by giving regularly to God's purposes and by getting out of debt regularly. And here's why. Because oftentimes the passions that God gives us cost money. They cost money. That trip to India was something that God had birthed inside of us, and it cost us thousands of dollars to go on this trip, personally, from our personal finances. And um, generosity is kind of like a muscle. And if we aren't working out that muscle regularly, when it comes time to follow God and some of his purposes for us and his passions for us to go, that muscle will not be strong enough to write a check for a couple thousand dollars. It just won't. We say it will. When something comes up, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to give it all away. We just won't. It's like a muscle. We need to work it out regularly. That's why we say to you guys, man, God bless you. And we want to encourage you, give regularly to the church. That's why we talk about tithing, giving the first 10%. We give regularly, we give generously because it strengthens a giving muscle. So that when God calls us to something even bigger, that muscle strengthened. And then I want to say this, we need to get out of debt. We need to honor God by getting out of debt because I can't tell you the number of people who I've talked to who have said, I sense God calling me to do something. I want to do it, but I can't do it because I'm in debt. I just can't do it. I don't have the money to do it. Friends, I want for you more than anything to be able to follow God where he leads you, whatever that is, whether it's down the street or around the world. But it usually is going to cost money. So we've got to strengthen our giving muscle by being generous, and we've got to be debt-free so that when God calls us, we can, actually, we can actually move. I'd say it this way. To break out of the cage of responsibility, we need to be responsible with the little things so that we're prepared to be responsible with the big ones. All right, let's pick up with Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. So we've got to deal with that tension, guys. We've got to deal with that tension. If nothing else, go home and deal with that tension today. Nehemiah 2 verse 1 says, In the month of Nisan, it was in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when uh, wine was brought before him. I took the wine and I gave it to the king, and I had never been sad in the king's presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not sick? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And let's just, let's pull over to the side of the road here. Um, there was a rule, basically, that you would never be sad in the king's presence, that being in the king's presence should automatically make you happy. And if you were sad in his presence, you could be killed for it. Before you think, well, that's really weird, just think about the time when you've come home and uh, your family is cranky and whatever, your spouse is kind of not happy, and you've either thought to yourself or said to yourself, why aren't you happy? I'm home. Okay, that, that's what's happening here. If you've ever thought that, you think, I'm a, I'm a king. I'm a queen. Okay. Maybe you think you are the king of your castle. You can't put him to death, by the way. But he could. So it's a scary thing. It can only be sadness of heart 
And Nehemiah says, I was really afraid. Verse 3, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? I want you to underline that. What is it that you want? And I prayed to God and he, and then I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let me send to, my, to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild the wall. The king looked at his queen, because any smart king dresses his queen. And then he asked me, how long will your journey take? When will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. And I also said to him, if it pleases the king, and I don't want to push, but if it pleases the king... May I have letters for the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive to Judah. And I want to close our time together simply by talking about some steps towards following after a God-ordained plan, a God-ordained vision. Because it's one thing to have a dream. It's another thing to move from dream to action. And here's what Nehemiah did. He took, uh, he kept a lookout for any opportunity that God might give him to pursue his passion. He knew he wanted to rebuild the wall, so he just said, okay, God, any opportunity you give me to do that, I'm going to do it. He spent time praying and fasting. He knew God wanted him to go and rebuild the wall. And the opportunity came when the king said, what do you want? What do you want? Here's the great thing. Nehemiah had taken the time to move from dream to action, and he knew what he wanted. He said, I want to go and rebuild the wall. And that's the next step. Do you know what you want? Have you moved from dream to an action step? Figure out what you want. Figure out what you want. If someone was to say to you, well, what do you want to do with that passion that God's given you? And you said, well, I I don't know. It's just kind of a feeling. Feelings never change the world. Action changes the world. What do you want? First, we got to uncover the passion. Then we got to figure out God's plan. Verse 11 says this, It's Nehemiah talking. He says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding. And here's what Nehemiah did not do. He didn't call everyone in Jerusalem together and say, hey, I've got a great plan. We're going to change the world. Let's get everybody together. Let's, let's, let's just, let's start something up here. Let's start a program. He went out privately. He went out privately and he began to survey the land. That was his next step. See, when we uncover God-given passions, we usually fall into one of two camps. Our natural tendency is to make a radical life change. If you're like me and you're a type A, when God says do something, you just want to dive in. Listen, your next step is not move to Africa. That might be a step, but that's not the next step. Okay, if you're passionate about people in Africa and AIDS and and ending that, your next step is not to say to the family over dinner tonight, family, guess what? Next week, we're moving to Africa. Not a good plan. That's a step, potentially, not the next step. What is the next step? The other tendency we have is, is when we get passionate about something, and I know this because I love to talk and I get passionate a lot. When we get passionate about something, we want everybody to be passionate about it. Right? I can't tell you how many times people like me come to me and they say, Kevin, I'm passionate about something. Let's make it a church program. Listen, if we did everything every one of us in this church wanted to do was a church program, we would be bad at everything. We'd never be good at anything because we'd be doing too many things. 
Our church's passion is to reach lost people, to reach people who are far from God so that they can know God's love. Because we love God and we love people. That's our, that's our church's DNA. And we do it in different ways. But listen, that doesn't mean that that should be your unique thing all the time. You might have a different passion that is God-honoring, but, but it might happen outside of church. And, and that's okay. We don't need to make our passion a program all the time. Because listen, we wouldn't be any good at anything we did if we tried to make every one of our passions into a program. Now, let's be honest. A step in your journey might be that your passion becomes a church program. It might. But that's not the step. So the next step is not move to Africa, and it's not make this a church program. The next step is what Nehemiah did. Take a small step of faith and see what God does. He went out at night when no one was around. It was quiet. He didn't tell anybody. He just took the next step of faith. Took the next step of faith. Took the next step of faith. Verse 17 says this, as he took these steps of faith and he saw God moving, he said, then I gathered the people together after that. This is a few steps down the road. And I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Then he says, come, let us rebuild the walls together so that we will no longer be in disgrace. And here's what he was able to do, verse 18. I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. See, he had taken so many steps and God had been faithful so many times that he could then go to the leadership and he could say to them, look, God is clearly in this. Look at the way he's moving. Let's rally the people behind it. So I would say this, continue to take next steps of faith on your journey and then follow your God-given passion. Just take the next step. Take the next step. Take the next step. Here's the end of Nehemiah's story because it's already been written. Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the wall. And it was, it was not always easy because, listen, following God is not always easy, but it was worth it. And I can tell you this, following God is always always worth it. That leaves us with one question. Where are you on this journey? Where are you on this journey? When we follow after God, his spirit lives in us and begins to guide us, and he will will give us certain things, certain God-given passions to follow after him. Where are you on the journey? Do you know what you're passionate about? That'd be the first step. If you do, do you know what your next step is? Do you know what your next step is? If you know what your next step is, are you taking it? And then is God using that to transform lives around you? When I talk about following God-given passions, it could be simply changing one person's life by the way that you love them and care for them and serve them. What are your passions? Do you have a passion to see people developed as Jesus followers? Maybe life groups are your passion. Do you love kids? Do you just love and want to see them raised up to know and love God and to make an impact in the world? Maybe kids' ministry is is your passion. Have you taken the next step in that yet? Or maybe it's something outside of the church. Maybe you watched the news recently and and something you saw just peaked something inside of you. Take that step. You should feel no shame to follow God in God-honoring ways, even if it's not a church program right now. But each of us should be engaging with God and following after him. And the benefits of that are huge. You will draw close to God like you never have before. Life will become worth living. Those around you, your family, your friends, will benefit because you'll become fully alive as you seek after God with everything you have and as you, as you draw close to him and allow him to birth in you a God-given passion. So we always like to 
apply the things we're learning, put them into practice. And on the back of your uh, notes, on the back of your Connect card, it gives us some easy ways to put it into practice. The first is this. I'm going to look at the steps above this week, the steps on our teaching notes. So you got to take your notes home with you. And I'm going to take a next step on this journey, whatever it is. I'm going to pray about what God might want to be doing in me, pray about the birthing of a passion. I'm going to figure out what my first step is on that journey, or I'm going to figure out what my next step is on that journey. We all have a step on that journey. So maybe that's your action point for today. Maybe for some of you, you didn't start fasting yet. I can tell you, this would be a great topic to fast about. If you haven't started your fast yet, start your fast today. Take that uh, postcard, write down what you want to, to fast from for the next, I don't know, what is 33 days, and what you want to fast for. And what you want to fast for might be the birthing of a passion. And if you're here today and, and you're, you're checking out Jesus, you're checking out this whole faith journey, I want to tell you your first step is the best step. And it's to say yes to God, to enter into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because we serve a God who knows you and loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. We talked about this in communion, that God, God made a way for us to come to him. We sang that song about freedom, but freedom happens when we come to know God, and he forgives us, forgives us of our sins. And he fills us with his spirit, and then he walks with us through this journey of becoming more like him and following after him. If you've never said yes to Jesus, we're going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. God could not love you more than he does right now. And he's calling you to himself. And if that's you, I want you to simply re- to repeat a prayer after me. It's a prayer of commitment where you would say yes to him. So would you join me? Let's pray together. And if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, oh man, God, God loves you. I, if you hear nothing else, and I would hope that you, actually, if you're at this point, that maybe you don't hear anything else except for this one thing. God knows you and he loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And your next step in that plan is coming into a relationship with him. God has done everything. He's made the way for you to come back to him and to know him and to live with your creator when Jesus gave his life on the cross. And if you're ready to say yes to him, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. Just just whisper it where you're sitting or say it in your head. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that your love caused you to come to this earth and to live a perfect life and then to give your life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be forgiven and come back into a relationship with my creator God. Today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering to me. And yes, I want, I want you. So would you come? Would you fill me with your spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk every day from this day forward into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision, congratulations. Would you just, would you mark that on your card? Because I want to be praying for you. We want to be connecting with you this week. All right. Yeah. Hey. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.